Okay, you know, I, I guess that kind of really works into what I, where I'm really going because if I'd ever been told by somebody, you know, you'd be coming to church and they'd be having sort of like lollies that were stinky socks and what, what were the other ones saying? Spew and whatever. I wouldn't have believed canned dog food. Yeah, who would believe that? None of us wake up in the morning and we, we, we really know what's going to happen. I mean, we, we kind of think we know what's going to happen. We have an idea of where we're going to go and what we're going to do and all that sort of stuff. But it doesn't always work out that way, does it? Sometimes it works out very differently. Uh, some years ago, uh, probably about six to eight years ago, I don't remember the exact date, I was living and working in the US and uh, I was working as a pastor, but I was also working for a company. And we would go to the office um, in the mornings and the guy who owned the company, a lovely bloke, um, he was a very committed follower of Jesus. And he had set it up so that um, when you turned up uh, at work at 8 a.m., if you wanted to, you could go and pray for half an hour on the company payroll. How about that? It was just really great. So we'd go in there and we'd pray for the company and pray for the employees. And reality was, it wasn't something you had to do. If you wanted to do it, you could. And so that would happen, um, you know, pretty much every morning. And so on one particular day, I went there and um, the boss is there. His name was Matt and uh, a number of other people. And we're in this office praying. And I may have shared this with you before. I'm not sure. But um, so, so we're in this office praying. And as people are praying... I'm getting this overwhelming sense that I've got to ask Matt, the boss, about 3.30. That's it. I'm like, asking about 3.30. And I'm thinking, oh, have you ever sort of been praying and you're not sure if it's you or, you know what I mean? It's kind of like that. I'm, so I'm having this and I'm, I'm sort of putting it off and I'm putting it off and I'm putting it off. And eventually, sort of the prayer time is coming to an end. But it's just this incredibly strong sort of urge. So... I look over at him and he's standing there and I said, hey Matt, um, I've really got to talk to you and ask you, what is it about 3.30? And he had this incredibly shocked look on his face. And it's that kind of look that you see in a boss's face when you're going to get fired. <laughs> he's kind of looking at me and I'm thinking, what have I done? What have I said? And he just has this really anxious look on his face. And he said, oh, he said, look, I... Um, I wasn't going to tell anybody about this. In fact, I, I felt really kind of embarrassed. And, you know, if I tell you what I think I'm meant to tell you, you're all going to think I'm, I'm insane. But he said, I guess I've, I've really got to tell you now. So we're just kind of going, mm, what's this about? You know, we're kind of looking at this guy. And um, this is what he said. He said, um, at 3.30 this morning, I was woken up. And I know it was 3.30 because I was staring at the clock and it said 3.30. And then I looked up and there was an angel, an angel, huge angel in my bedroom. And, and I looked at him and, and I, I jumped back with fear. <laughs> and he said, and this is, what, this is the bit that I don't remember. He was either a huge black angel with Caucasian features Okay, or a huge Caucasian angel with black features. I don't remember which. But he said it was the, the most overwhelming experience. And when he sort of jumped back in fear, the, the angel kind of approached him gently and said something to him. I don't, I don't remember what it was, or maybe he didn't tell us. And we're all kind of standing there going, well, that's a bit different to start work, isn't it? Um, <laughs> it was kind of like, wow. And, um, you know, I, I, I guess... 
you know, the more I've kind of thought about it, he, he, he went on to, to say something else. He said, you know, this is what you're even going to find stranger. For the last five years, every night I go to bed, before I go to sleep, I pray that the Lord would send an angel to me. It took five years. The reason I'm sharing that story with you, and I guess in the way I'm sharing it, is that something really profound happened to him that he didn't know what to really do with, how to deal with it. And yet the Lord kept prompting me. And if I hadn't have said this thing that I was kind of, you know, feeling a bit awkward about, then he wouldn't have shared this. And I wouldn't be sharing it with you today. And I guess it's really important that I share it with you because we often think things like that don't happen at all. And they do. They really do. I've been actually showing people for about the last 15 years how to actually experience Jesus. Not just to read about him as we do in our 20 minutes in the chair, which is really important to do, by the way, but how to actually experience him in a personal way and hear from him. Because he's alive and he's well and he's risen. And and when I pray with people, and, and usually in the prayer time, there's something going on in their lives and I'm asking Jesus to come and speak to them, the thing that I've found over the last 15 years is, is this. It's never a problem getting him to turn up. Sometimes we don't turn up, if you know what I mean. He's available and he's alive and he's well. And what I want us to really think about tonight and to, to ponder about tonight is, are we certain, is every one of us here certain that not only is God real, but that he wants to come and meet with us personally and work through us. That is, are we certain that God works through ordinary people like me and you? That guy was a friend of mine, a close friend of mine. I call him every couple of weeks. How are the angels going? Okay. He's real. When we open up Luke's gospel, which we've just started to go through, we read in, in verse 5 that in the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Now you're probably wondering, well, why are those details in there? Because Luke um, has said in the verse before this, he said, I've written this whole thing so that you may know the certainty of the things you've been taught. And he is, in this gospel, explaining things in such a way that we can actually go, wow, that, that, that's true, that is certain. I can believe that. And because I can believe that, I can, I can live my life differently because this is certain. And so what he wants us to know here is about this man called Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth. And he's giving us these historic details. You're probably aware of this, but people back in the time of Jesus didn't drive cars. Or if they did, they didn't talk about them. But from what we know, they didn't drive cars, okay? So they didn't have driving licenses. And so if you turn up somewhere now and you're sort of like 18 or 17, that's, that's one way you can ID yourself. There's a little picture and you go, hey, this is Andrew Morris, it's me and whatever. Well, they didn't have that. And so by way of proving who these people were, 
Luke gives details about them. And the first detail he gives is this happened during the time of King Herod. And King Herod's a, a, a very well-known history uh, figure from history. I, I don't remember what year he was born, but he died in 4 BC, just after Jesus was born. I know we think Jesus died in zero, but he, he, he died in 4 BC. And so what we know is that by Luke saying this happened at the time of Herod, just before John the Baptist is born, and we know that um, Herod died in 4 BC, this is somewhere between 6 to 4 BC. So he's narrowed down. There's a date there's real people, and then he tells us something about these real people as well. There's uh, Elizabeth and Zechariah. He tells us the sort of details that, you know, we would say like a family name or where they ca- came from. You see in other cultures, particularly older cultures, they talk about the family line, and everybody knows who they are because it's a smaller community. And so when they talk about um, Zechariah and Elizabeth are both from uh, priestly families. They're descended from Aaron, the brother of Moses back in the Old Testament. They're giving us really specific details. People knew who they were because this was a very clear way of saying this person exists, this person was real. Now, if you're actually thinking that um, basically um, uh, Zechariah is a really big, important person, he's actually not. Yeah, he's a priest. But just to give you an idea, there were a lot of priests around at this time. From what I can understand, there were 18,000 priests. And I've tried to work out how many people lived in Jerusalem at this time. And, you know, different places said, well, maybe it was 40, maybe it was 50, maybe it was 80,000. But but let's say it's actually 40,000 and you've got 18,000 priests. Well, basically every other person was a priest. And so the points are very simple that nobody was looking for Zachariah's autograph. He may have been a priest, but he wasn't anybody particularly special. He was an ordinary person like you or like me. And God had plans for this ordinary person like he does for people like you and me. But we're told something else about them, that in their ordinariness, they they had a relationship with God. And we're told in verse 6 that both of them were righteous in the sight of God observing all of God's commands and decrees blamelessly. Now, you could read that to think they were perfect. And they weren't perfect, and you're going to see a bit later on that they're not perfect at all. But what it's really saying is, if you want to know what these ordinary people were like, this is another way of saying they just took their faith seriously. They believed there was a God. They knew his commands, and and they made it their business in life to take his commands seriously. They didn't do them perfectly but they were concerned to do the right thing by God. But they had issues in life. Just like you and I have got issues, and just like you and I, our life doesn't work out perfectly. And sometimes sometimes it doesn't work out very well at all. Have you noticed that? What we read in here is that they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. Now... If you've wanted to have a child and you can't, that's often a very devastating thing for somebody. There's no IVF back then, nothing like that. So there must have been great personal disappointment. But it was more than just that. They didn't have Centrelink, okay? And so basically, um, as somebody said to me last week out near one of the larger families, look, you know, we've got 10 kids because we're hoping they'll look after us in our old age. One of them will actually do pretty well. I've had that discussion with my kids, by the way. And um, I think they said something like, in your dreams. Um, I don't know what that means. You could probably explain that to me later. But um, <laughs> no, we get on pretty well. 
Um, but, you know, so they had a lot of disappointment and, you know, they were getting older and there was nobody around to look after them. But there was also something else that made life very, very difficult for them. And that in their society, being unable to have children was, was considered to be like you'd done something wrong and it was like a punishment and it was like a shameful thing. And so that um, Elizabeth later in, in the end of verse 25, she actually refers to my disgrace amongst the people, okay? So you're sort of getting this picture now that, yeah, they're, they're, they're from this priestly family, but there's a lot of them. Um, yeah, they're really serious about their faith with God, but a lot of their neighbours probably viewed them a bit suspiciously, like they've done something wrong and they deserve this. You know what I'm saying? A lot of disappointment in life, and it wasn't an easy life. And I, I guess what I'm saying is that's something most of us can relate to. Most of us compare ourselves to somebody else and we, we're not clever enough and we're not pretty enough and we're not... I'm not talking about me, but um, I'm joking. But most of us do that, don't we? And sometimes it's not even just perception. Sometimes we do have real issues in life. Well, these are people just like us. Normal people trying hard to follow God in a very broken and you know, an uncertain world. But all of a sudden... Um, we're actually told in verses 8 to 10, something happened in, in, in their lives to radically change their situation. Um, we're actually told that once when Zechariah's division, that's his priestly division, was on duty, they did duty two times a year. I think it was two weeks of the year where they came to Jerusalem and had to do different things. And he was serving as a priest before God and he was chosen by lot. That's from like pull numbers out, you know, of a, of a bag or whatever. I don't actually, exactly know whether it was numbers or what, but that's what they do. And, and you know in the Bible, or if you're not that familiar with it, let me give you a hint. Normally in the Bible, when there's a lot taken and it's serious, God is sticking his hand in that bag and pulling out somebody's number, okay? That's kind of how it works. We think it's by chance, not when he's involved, okay? No chance whatsoever. So all of a sudden we're told that he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple and to burn incense, okay? Now, a priest would be allowed to do that once in a lifetime, okay? Once in a lifetime. Now, let's just have a look at the couple of pictures up on the uh, thing up here. This is a picture of the temple. If, if you went to Jerusalem now, there's Temple Mount, the Dome of the Rock on there, the Islamic places on there. But this is what used to be on there. You've got the Gentiles' courtyards, and basically people could go through to different levels depending on who they were. The very heart of it in the most holy place... Can we see the next one, please? Okay, that's like a cutout of that holy place up there. You've got the Holy of Holies, and the only person who could go in there was the high priest. One day of the year, they had to tie a rope around him because if they died, nobody else was allowed in. They had to drag him out, otherwise they'd be struck down dead. You know, pretty disastrous. You've got all these people just going down like flies, you know, it'd be really bad. But, but the Holy of Holies was the place on earth where God's presence dwelt in a really special way. Now, just, just as an aside, every Christian has the Holy Spirit in them. You are the walking Holy of Holies if, you put, if you've asked Jesus into your life. So things have changed a lot. But back in those days, not so much. And so all of a sudden we're told, can you see there where it says the altar of incense? Okay? So I'll get down like this so you guys up the back can actually see. Um, that's where Zechariah was meant to go into. His uh, job was to go in there light the incense, and then he's, he was meant to get down and prostrate himself before God and actually pray for the nation. And um, 
What actually happens, though, is that um, this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity just radically changes, doesn't it? We're told in verses 11 to 13, Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son whom you are to call John. Extraordinary. He is confronted like an angel. Now, let's just see a couple of pictures of angels. Normally, when we think of angels, can we see the next one? That's, that's what we think of. Yeah, it's like my daughters were when they were kind of like four or five. Absolutely gorgeous. But violent, maybe they could tickle you to death, okay? Maybe they would blow dandelions in your face. But in terms of being big killer angels in the army of God, not so much. Can we see the next one? Can you see that angel? That is more what we're talking about here. This guy is looking for action. You know what I'm saying? He's got a, that's actually a picture of me, by the way, with my shirt off. Um, I hide it well, don't I? I hide it extremely well. Um, no, that actually... Well, okay, Lord, it's not me. I'm sorry, I lied. Um, but you thought it was me, didn't you? Yeah, in my dreams once again. And um, can we see the next one? That's not me either, by the way. I thought I'd point that out. This is probably what Zachariah is seeing. Something big, huge, powerful with the majesty of God. And as amazing as this is, to see an angel like, I believe my friend saw an angel. Zechariah is afraid because this is a big, powerful creature, not a couple of little girls with ringlets, okay? But the most amazing thing is not so much, I think, that Zechariah sees the angel, it's the message. And look at what the angel said to Zechariah. I've just jumped back a bit, guys, sorry about that. The angel actually says, do not be afraid, Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. All these years, Zechariah and his wife have been praying for children. Now they're so old, the angel turns up and says, and by the way, you know all those prayers you've been praying for? We're going we're to answer them for you. If I was Zechariah, I'd be thinking, how about just superannuation? That would be fine at this point. But um, no, children, a child. It's extraordinary. And, and the reason I want to underline this for you is, is for a very simple reason. Our God works, is real, and he, he listens to, and he works through normal people like you and me, and he hears our prayers. And even if they don't get answered today or the next day, your prayer has been heard. That's the message. God listens. Don't stop praying and don't stop leaning into God and don't stop asking for him for good things, godly things. Look at what he says about this child, though, in verses 14 to 17. He will be a joy and a delight to you. Many will rejoice because of his birth, for he'll be great in the sight of the Lord. He's never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Look at what he's saying. I know, I've, I know heaven's held back on this kid, but we had good reason to hold back. Your son is going to be the one who ushers in the Lord coming to earth. Pretty good answer, isn't it? Yeah, we didn't get it there on time, but we had other contingencies, like somebody to organize the people for Jesus to come 
and meat. I like that answer. I would be satisfied with that answer. I would say no to superannuation and yes to the kid, especially when I heard that. It's extraordinary, isn't it? He's the one who will go before the Lord. Something else we've actually heard about him as well. We're actually told that um, he's going to have the Holy Spirit in him even before he's born. He's going to be spirit-filled in utero. That's what it's been said here. And look at it in 141. You have not uh, be up on the screen. Later on, when Elizabeth is pregnant with John the Baptist, who we're talking about, and then Mary comes pregnant with Jesus, you know, both angelic visits, both amazing things happening. What we read is when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her room. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. I mean, there's extraordinary things going on. The baby's full of the Holy Spirit, recognizes Jesus, is preparing the way in utero. What a kid! Some of you guys have got kids here, you're thinking, that'd be good. <laughs> that'd be excellent. Our God is real, and He works through ordinary people like you and me. And if you want to know how ordinary Zechariah is, listen to the next bit. This is the bit I find hilarious. Zechariah asks the angel in verse 18, how can I be sure of this? Now, just between me and you, you're in the temple, you see a massive angel from God, and then you ask, is this possible? What sort of question is that? I mean, how can you ask an angel appearing before you if God's able to do things? And the angel's nearly insulted. Look what the angel says. I am Gabriel. I reckon he'd talk like that. I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at the appointed time. Isn't that so ironic? You won't believe my words, so you're not going to be able to talk. I'm stopping your words. There's symmetry there, isn't there? I mean, just take it on board that Zachariah's a real guy and like you and me, even though we, we, we have a lot of faith and trust in God, if we've come to that place, maybe some of us are thinking through it. We still have moments where we're going, is this real? Is this, you know what I'm saying? God worked with this guy. God will work through people who struggle as well and send angels and whatever and just hope he doesn't stop your mouths unless, in fact, that could be a really good thing. Okay? Now, while this is all going on, we're told in verses 21 to 25, meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah, wondering why... He stayed so long in the temple. I guess we know, don't we? When he came out, he could not speak to them. Fulfillment of the prophecy. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple for he kept making signs to them but remained unable to speak. I've just, I don't know, this has got my imagination. What's the charade symbol for? I just saw an angel and my wife will become pregnant in her old age. That would be so much fun. Nah, sounds like, you know what I'm saying? Some of you don't know what I'm saying, I can see. But anyway... He comes out and he can't speak. And when his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant in her old age. And for five months, she remained in seclusion. Look at what she says. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. You know what God wants to do with you, with me? Show us his favor. Just looking for people who are open to him, who believe in him, who mess up occasionally, 
but have got a good heart. We want to follow him. And he wants to work through us. And he wants us to understand. He's not saying, where are the superstars? Because there aren't any. That's the truth of it. So he's going to work with the rest of us. And the rest of us are just kind of normal people who one day realize that God is real. That he sent his son Jesus to die on a cross. To forgive our sins. So he could enter into this relationship and favor us and and minister through us. I want you to leave here tonight thinking this is what the Bible has taught. Real people, real situations, and that means it's real for me too. We can be certain about that. And I encourage you daily, get your head into the Bible for 20 minutes, 20 minutes into the chair. Start to read this and realize the Bible is far more real and certain than this crazy world that we live in. And the only way to live properly in this crazy world is with the certainty of God that we take out into it. What do you reckon? Yeah? It's a good message, huh? Isn't the Bible great? Thank you, Luke, for, for, for speaking through the Holy Spirit and giving certainty to us. Let's pray now. Lord God, you do the most amazing things to the most ordinary people, so the most ordinary people do amazing things. People like us. We, we, we could never believe that you could do things like that and yet you go out of your way to show us just how normal, just how difficult these, these people's lives were, their frustration, their fear, their disgrace. Oh Lord, we, we just want to say we're open to you. And Lord, if, if any of us is sitting out there tonight and, and we're thinking, well, am I open? Do I want to go and do more with this? Lord, just give us that sense in our spirits that we're certain. And that we can say, yes, Jesus, I want to go all the way with you. I want to believe in you. And then I want to get to a place where I get baptized. Where I want to make that outward sign. Yes, I am certain. I'm crossing over the line. I'm going to go under the water to do that. Lord Jesus, just thank you for these blessings. In your word, we pray. In your name, Jesus.